0: Thank you. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the Elm City Lit Fest podcast. I'm Ife Michelle Gardine, founder. I'm,
1: I'm Sean McAllister.
0: Sean's <laughs> a co-coordinator. Elm City Lit Fest is a celebration of literature, literary arts, and literary artists of the African diaspora. And tonight, tonight we're going to talk about the lit part. the the literacy part of Lit, because we also promote literacy. And I am happy to say, and I haven't said it enough that I am a proud board member of Literacy Volunteers of Greater New Haven. Our guest this evening is Ms. Valerie Sanchez, William William Sanchez, oops. Welcome, Valerie. <laughs> Hello.
2: How are you?
0: And Valerie's going to talk a little talk about her multi projects. Valerie and I met with we were uh, both working at Columbia University years ago, and uh, also at Good Wine in Brooklyn through good friends out there. Yes. Um. I still I got a picture of us with Jacqueline Woodson that night <laughs> and jason reynolds yeah exactly yeah yeah Very it important through. evening yeah it was it was so valerie mm-hmm. just give us a little brief history about yourself and then um we get to talking
2: sure um i'll keep it as brief as possible but all anchored in my literacy work so um right now i am a student doing a doctoral thesis doing uh you know doctoral work in literacy at St. John's University in, Cal- in uh, New York, in Queens, New York. And I come to this program, kind of through a bunch of different activities that I came to organically over the course of my career. Um, I started off as a journalist, working journalist, a daily reporter, uh, and moved into marketing communications in a corporate setting. Um, but as time wore on and I grew older, I had my one and only daughter and then my one and only nephew I started writing children's books and that ignited a passion in me that I am still enjoying and kind of exploring, Uh, went back to school for it. And now not only a children's author, but also a reading researcher, something I'm really enjoying and happy to share and talk about tonight. Oh, we're so
0: glad to have you with us.
1: We are, thank you for for coming out Ms. Valerie and spending time with us this evening and fellowshipping now. I wanted to ask you about um, you being a principal investigator, but a reading researcher is just as exciting. So can you tell me a little bit about both and give us some context to what that means? Sure, sure, sure. So as a reading
2: researcher, um, I am someone who investigates uh, trends, uh, phenomenon, uh issues new and uh kind of emergent in the world of literacy and my particular area specialization uh, the the philosoph- philosophical kind of framework from which i look at my work is largely related to culturally relevant pedagogy so that means i'm looking at um story how it relates to the emergence of self how we learn and define ourselves through Uh, information we gain from what we read, and how we see ourselves reflected in the works that we read and choose to read and are exposed to through education. Now, as a principal investigator, I am now currently involved in a project that's looking at reading and how reading builds empathy. So my research and investigation is looking at um, trends that are emerging with kids and talking with kids about what they're coming away with from their readings and what they're learning. And the fun part about my work uh, is I get to talk to kids. I get to talk to kids about what they, what they learn, what they understand, and what resonates with them in their reading. And it's been, I can tell you, it's, it's quite an, a remarkable journey I'm on right now. Um, hearing what kids say versus what parents say, it's really eye-opening, really eye-opening, particularly now, particularly now.
0: Now that we're in COVID, how has that worked for you? Like, how how have you been able to do your study?
2: Right, so the study that I've developed, um, actually the methodology was meant to be in a per you know, one-on-one kind of in investigation and interaction. But because of COVID, um, the guidelines have changed and I've had to use and migrate into a digital space, just like everybody else who's reading and learning and, pretty much doing anything else these days and as a result um it's a different experience um i am finding though that i'm getting um the same type of candid responses that i i would get otherwise Uh, and that's that's i'm very thankful of that because that's really what my study's about is getting you know firsthand feedback from uh, the folks with whom i'm in conversation
1: what are the children saying? What are they saying that they're walking away with? What's what's sticking to them? Well, it, it
2: varies. And I, I, I don't really want to draw any conclusions just yet because I'm still in the pot process of data collection. Um, but it is interesting. It is interesting to hear, uh, and without giving away too many of the questions because I don't, you know, I, like I said, I am still in the process of data collection. But um, the goal really is to get kids, um, unfiltered response to what they've read and to find out if they feel through the reading that they've done if it's uh helping them to to be able to see different perspectives and that's that's really the the notion of empathy or the idea of empathy that i'm exploring um you know in academia we call it the construct the construct of empathy that i'm looking at has really three different three different angles and it's um so it's, um, it's the emotional, it's the cognitive, and it's the ethnocultural dimensions of, of, of empathy with which I am most concerned.
0: Is your study just based in
2: New York since you're at St. John's or is it global? No. And, and it ties to the question that Shay asked me because I'm in a digital space, I really don't have boundaries, right? Anyone who's interested is more than welcome. Um, if you're a reader, uh, or if you you're a parent of a child age six to eight and you're interested, you can you can join in. And because the work is largely anonymous, and I say that because um, you know, I, of course, I I need to be able to contact people and uh, get information to them. But the data collection and the aggregation of data and the statistical analysis, it's all done you know based on the 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 aggregate of data, the anonymous data. So. You know there's really it's really about who's interested who wants to volunteer to be part of the effort
1: how does empathy connect with reading and literacy why is it important that our youth oh, and young God. people i'm so glad
2: you asked
1: that gaming <laughs> skills?
2: yeah um empathy it's strange because you know these days um we're talking we're hearing uh, people are talking about empathy in so many different uh, environments right in the political uh, debates you're hearing people talk about empathy I think about a month ago there was a big spread on empathy in the New York Times and how can we learn it um, you're hearing about empathy just in terms of civil discourse and the, our ability to have um, intelligent and insightful and respectful conversation and dialogue with our other citizens and empathy is all part of that our ability empathy is really our ability to uh, take the perspective of someone else right um, be it Um, to understand that their perspective is different, but to be respectful of it. Um, Or if it's just having the capacity to understand that someone might actually see something differently than you do. Empathy is what enables us to do a lot of that.
1: It kind of gives you that platform to step outside yourself.
2: Exactly, and that's how it plays out in education. Think about the books that you've read as a kid and all that you've learned, the, the places you've gone, the places you've explored, the people you've met through the pages of a book. Empathy is part of what enables us to gain those insights, to be able to take the perspective of someone else, to step out, step outside ourselves and to learn from those
1: experiences. And once once a student has grasped empathy, what, what next door does that open for them? <laughs> So it plays
2: out actually um, in our schooling, right? In uh, Common Core here in the state of New York, um, the standards include uh, being able to read uh, a passage and write, an, you know, write some type of uh, text, right? And those two, those two processes are core and central to literacy: being able to read and write. So the ability to read about something the ability to take the perspective and learning from what you've read and then to see it through another's eyes and then translate it into something you can speak about, that's the whole process. That's all that we're looking for. And so um, it's critical to our learning. It's critical to the, you know, the pedagogy of learning uh, through reading text and then being able to express ourselves, our thoughts as relates to what we've learned.
0: I keep I keep <laughs> mute myself because I got I got emotions. I would be like, mm, mm. <laughs> so um, have have um, you been able to work with like uh, educational programs, like teacher training programs, or education systems with um, with this study or with the learning?
2: That's ultimately that's the goal. Right now, uh, I'm piloting this study. I'm piloting this instrument, as we say in academia. Um, it's a quantitative research design. And so once I come away with my findings, uh, hopefully I'll be able to take it to the next level, take it to the next step, and prove that it's an, uh, you know, an, an effective and efficacious, as they say, instrument that can then be used by different educators, different, different you know, entities and organizations that have an interest in this, this area of, of, of learning.
1: Now, Ms. Valerie, your, your research encompasses multi-model learning, access equity, inclusion for emergent readers of color, and culturally relevant content. I'm gonna I i want to get into separately. A lot. The, <laughs> right, I wanna get into separately the importance of culturally relevant context. Okay. And how that- okay, wait. Did I go mute or did you? Yeah,
2: we can hear you. I can't hear Shay. Uh
0: no, oh. No, we can't hear you, Sha. Oh,
2: and it was such a good
1: question. Can you hear me now? Okay. Yes, there you are. It's five below headphones. <laughs> <laughs> product shop, product placement. <laughs> Uh oh! Watch out. So, so I'll um I'll restate the question. So okay. your um your PhD research currently encompasses multi-model learning, access, mm-hmm. equity, inclusion mm-hmm. for emergent leaders, and culturally relevant content. I want to mm-hmm. get into the culturally relevant content kind of separately because I feel like people don't speak about relevant yeah. content and culturally content. Okay. But how do these factors tie into literacy where does the interconnectedness happen
2: okay and let's 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 break this down let's chunk this out as they say the first concept you mentioned was which
1: multimodal learning
2: okay so multimodal learning uh, relates to text text that is multimodal so that would be text that has both pictures and words right so for kids in the age group i'm looking at typically books include pictures there might be picture books or they might be graphic books, but they have an interplay of messaging that is gleaned or that is gained from not just the text, but also the image. So um, I look specifically, because I'm looking at this age group, at books that typically are multimodal. Typically, they're picture books, or typically books that have that interplay. Uh, In terms of access, equity, and inclusion, um, I'm really concerned with, how kids see themselves in the pages of the books that they're reading right not only how they get them but how they have access to the stories the narratives and the textual messaging that's included in books so that's the access the equity is that i feel that people of color really need to be both equally represented but also have an equitable experience in the pages of books right so that means that the full breadth of the African diaspora should be represented in the pages of books. And all kids from all walks of the African diaspora should be able to find a book that speaks to their their lived experience. Um, And that's also about inclusion, right? And the importance of all of those things, and I think that might've been the last one, culturally relevant pedagogy, is that the last point that you cited? Mm -hmm. Um, Is that when kids see themselves in the pages of books, they become part of the learning experience and part of the learning process right when you see yourself or you hear a story that resonates or uh, it's about someone who looks like you or thinks like you or lives somewhere like you all of a sudden whatever's being discussed it has relevance um in my teaching experience i can't tell you how many times i've had my students you know raise their hand and say miss william sanchez why do we have to learn this this has nothing to do with my life i don't know these people this means nothing, and why do I have to waste my time learning this stuff, right? So, when you bring this this notion of access, equity, and inclusion into education, all of a sudden you have a, a, a an easier time engaging students, and their motivation is oftentimes much higher. Not to mention, it 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 helps them feel seen. And uh, one of the real core kind of pedagogical points of my research and my my look at literature and literacy is the point that um, in a lot of ways, when you have an inclusive text or you have an, a, an inclusive pedagogy, it becomes almost a therapeutic experience. When you see yourself in the pages of a book, all of a sudden you matter. And in an era right now when Black Lives Matter is such, I mean, it's such a, div- I mean, polarizing issue to me that is such an, I mean, it's, it's not even up for debate, you know, it's really important to know that you matter, to see yourself, to be justified in your experience, to be justified in your thoughts, your feelings, and your worldview and your beliefs. And that's, that's really kind of in a nutshell what a lot of my research looks at, um, seeks to find grounding and really seeks to explore in ways to make that a reality for more, more students.
1: Um, that's a preview, but oh, okay. <laughs> that's okay. I, I, you bring up a really valid point that I think kind of gets overlooked in school. Folks, kids who would be like, "Why is this relevant to me?" They would, they would get the answer, "Well, it's going to help you later in life. It's going to make sense later on." But that's not helpful if you continuously go through schooling and none of this has anything to do with you. Anybody that looks like you isn't relevant to your situation. Any more situation that you know around you and i would see motivation just diminish folks would be like this has nothing to do with me i'm not check they, they check out instantly right. but i feel like we are always called to check in to someone else's culture where no one has to check into ours that we have to now push and put our works and our lives and ourselves into literature and have it be you know spread abundantly so that we ourselves as Black people can feel a part of it and feel seen. But I think it's also important for those who aren't Black to get these experiences, to have some sort of context of our lives. Like I'm learning through my friends that they have no idea what's going on in our lives. Like, yeah. And I have no idea what's going on in their lives. And they, yeah. we've kind of reduced it to an algorithm that our algorithms on the internet are different, but I don't think that takes away from, we could maybe we could have been more empathetic to each other very much more early on if we would have been exposed to each other
2: yeah you i mean you've touched on so many really important points Um, the first thing that well two things that come to mind but in my own personal history and uh, kind of experience what you brought to mind was the experience i had when i was in high school and i brought an essence magazine to my high school class now mind you i'm from southern california and back when i was in middle school I, I was, yeah, I think I was the only black kid in my English lit classes. Right. Cause I was orange. I'm from Orange County, California, where Trump is tonight. He touched down at John Wayne airport. I saw that I was like, oh, okay. Um, you know, and that kind of tells you the environment in which I, I grew up. And I remember the day that I brought that essence magazine in and my classmates were like, wait, what's that? What, what are you looking at? What what kind of weird magazine is that? Where, where are the white people? How come it's all black people in that magazine? And to them, it was the strangest things they ever seen. They had never seen anything like that. Now, mind you, like so many other, you know, African American households, Essence, Ebony, Jet, those were like, <laughs> you know, the holy trio that were always, you know, I as a little kid would go running to the mailbox you know, the beginning of the month looking for the essence, you know, that which was my favorite, because I was like fashion and beauty, you know, whatever. Um, So, you know, you raise a good point that the exposures need to be in both directions. And, you know, as someone who is a, 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 who is a budding scholar, emergent scholar in literacy, I do believe in wide reading, I do believe there's really value in most, not most everything, but much of what people read, you know, and it's, it doesn't need to be only one type of reading. But I think the exposures and the access and equity of representation are so skewed and this bears out in, um, you know, in data. Um, I think uh, We Need Diverse Books, big shout out. They um, published the graphic that shows um, the, I think it's the Madison, Wisconsin uh, Cooperative of Children's Lit. And they show, they do a breakout each year of how many Of the new commercial titles, um, what the what the content is. So there's percentage breakouts in terms of what they call general market content, um, or characters that are you know white. Then they have a breakout for characters that are animal or fantasy, and then they have a chunk that's broken out for uh, you know black and people of color. Now, altogether that's your hundred percent, but siloed out. And when you look at each of the Black and people of color category, the breakouts by culture are very minimal and don't begin to compare it to the big general market chunk. And often, and I think this year, um, the black and people of color chunk, um, as it has been in years past, is less than the chunk for animal and fantasy characters. So you know that speaks to the the notion and the need for greater representation for black and people of color in content overall. Uh, to me i think you know especially for kids at this age group which increasingly data is showing that you know kids are seeing difference they're identifying difference at earlier ages than uh, earlier uh, understood i think five is now the age so it means that there's an opportunity now to start teaching kids about equity teaching kids and exposing them to other cultures so they have an appreciation and can begin to develop the tools and the capacity for uh being empathetic individuals, not only readers,
1: earlier on in, in their lives. Now do you feel like I feel like sometimes it's written off that kids can't handle this. Now can you make it clear for us and those watching what are children ready for this? Can they handle it?
2: What, what do you mean by this? <laughs> do you do uh, you mean are they are, are they are kids ready to handle seeing the people that they might run into in the in the supermarket on the pages of their book.
1: Are I do you- because I think I feel like for adults or those in the industry, they make it seem like it's this far-fetched idea that we're it's going to take years to change into this. That you know this may be too too abrupt, or that well, even speaking about teaching them about empathy.
2: Well, here's what I think on about that point. I I think I don't think it's too early. As I mentioned, I think um, increasingly. Um, Cognitive development and uh, data around uh, child development are suggesting that kids are noticing difference at earlier ages than uh, before believed uh, to be. And again, I mentioned the five-year-old seems to be the, the, the age at this point where that, that seems to be really true. Um, in term, and, and this is a different issue than changing the publishing system, right? So the publishing industry is, is its own its own entity, it's its own industrial complex. And the decisions that are made in that space aren't necessarily tied to what is uh, best practices in child development, right? Um, Typically it's a business and it's a business model, so it follows a whole different logic. Um, And as much as how we can get to diversifying what people are reading just in general, I think the emergent. I think technology has really been the key to that, in as much as it's allowed self-publishing, surprisingly, to start to take on greater uh, responsibility, greater uh, really market share, even in terms of what what types of stories, what narratives are being uh, dispersed, distributed, and what's available for people to read. So a lot of the the, the stories and uh, you know um, narratives that wouldn't necessarily be picked up in a traditional publishing environment now have found a place in the sun and on the shelves through self publishing. And I think that's a really important thing because, you know, cultures that have been largely marginalized now have access to their own means of publishing, and they can produce and create
1: content on their own terms. The technology has cut out the middleman.
2: Um, in some, in some degrees. Yes. Yes. Um, of course the self publishing, you know, author doesn't necessarily have the same scope or span of, uh, distribution as a publisher or a mainstream publisher, but you know, they can, as a, as an emergent writer, they can start maybe working, uh, their own titles and hopefully get some exposure that might ultimately be picked up. So that's not the typical kind of trajectory for a self-publisher. And typically self-publishers just wanna get their story out. They're not looking necessarily for that big deal. If you're looking for that big deal, then you gotta get an agent and you have to kind of work in that publishing space. But for those who are just interested in committing a particular story to paper um, and maybe having an impact on their immediate community, I think self-publishing is a really viable and important and really important uh, new option for us, as, you know, in all the different cultures, subcultures, and broader culture uh, here in the United States. And and interestingly, I, there is a history of this. Um, I did some research on um, uh, W.E.B. Du Bois, um, the Brownies' books, which was the first uh, periodical for and by children of color, right? Are it largely recognized as the first. There are other smaller publications, but you know because of his, his renown as uh, one of the first PhDs in education uh, and his work with Alan Locke, um, he gets the that top billing. And that uh, that work, which just celebrated its hundred year anniversary this year, was a wonderful model that showed people of color, you know, taking the the reins of publishing uh, into their own hands creating their own stories and giving children of color their first public space to start talking about their experiences and seeing themselves in real ways that they controlled. And that, that's, that's huge. That's something, a model we still need. And I think there's a new magazine in the UK um, that's really trying to do that and others, um, including some projects I'm working on that are looking to do that here in the U.S.
1: Now, Ms. Valerie, you are a self-published author and illustrator. Can you give us a right. little insight on that process for those who may be thinking about starting that journey or contemplating it from the yeah. illustrator side and the author side?
2: Yeah, sure. So, and I'm gonna show, do a little product shot real quick here. Here's my book, Lorena and the Magic Mocha Mirror. <laughs> this is one of three and this is the one I I illustrated, right? Um, And that that was really kind of a a big uh, leap of faith on my part to try and take on uh, the illustration of the book. But, um, you know, I think anyone who has a story to tell should feel empowered to, to endeavor to, you to know, to create their own books. You know, I think it's a wonderful experience. I think people, I think the culture in general is better off by taking ownership of its literacy, right? You're able to tell your story in your terms, um, you're able to shade it, develop it as you see fit. And there's so many resources out there now that make it easy, that it's a learning, the learnings that you have that you can share with the community and those who ultimately will become your readers, uh, just impact and empower the the community at large. So I think it's a wonderful wonderful opportunity and avenue. Um, Again, I think it's for folks who are really clear about what they want to achieve in self-publishing or in publishing. If you're looking to become the next, you know, author of the next blockbuster and you want an agent and you want to, you know, be the next, uh, uh, we were talking about Jason Reynolds <laughs> earlier and Jacqueline Woodson, yeah. you know, those, those folks, they, the, the thing about writing is you just got to write, you know, you just got to do it. And I think if you're looking to get your story out, self-publishing is a great way to do it. But if you're looking again to be, you know, uh, a, a, a broadly distributed author, you probably want to find an agent. Uh, but all of it requires just write, just write the story, just start somewhere and you know, enjoy the ride, enjoy the journey.
0: Okay, with that said, because you got a little you had a little intro with your your book. Yeah. <laughs> your Coco Kids collection. We're gonna talk about the Cocoa Kids now. Okay. Um, because I, I I I really love the the themes in this book in the in your books uh, the the motivation on top of um young people seeing themselves kids seeing themselves there's a theme so um i'd like you to talk a little bit about the theme of each book and a little bit about the stories
2: okay sure so yeah the coco kids collection is a three book series of uh of children's books that include a narrative piece and then an expository piece or a usually it's an activity or some piece that um, includes some sort of expository learning so the first part is a narrative it's a fictitious narrative and then the next part is something to kind of explore in a different way each of the stories is based on somebody in my life right so my first story was isaiah and the chocolate mountain and that story was based on my nephew isaiah the second book is eddie and the uh, eddie and the hot cocoa hot rod and that was loosely based on <laughs> a dear friend of mine uh, and uh, kind of a story I created based on knowing what his childhood passions were. He's grown up but you know it's based on an imagined version of himself as a child. And then the third that I showed, uh, Lorena and the Magic Mocha Mirror, that's based on my daughter, my 25 year old daughter Lorena who lives in Southern California. Now each of the stories, let me start with the first. The first which started it all was a story that I told my nephew one day when I was babysitting him and without giving away too much of it um it's loosely about a little boy who doesn't like chocolate believe it or not and that's what he gets for his birthday so he kind of you know reacts to that and that kind of sets off a sequence of events that uh he has to kind of find his way through um and it explores his emotions through that that journey of you know, the excitement, the anticipation of the gift, the excitement of getting the gift, and then the disappointment of getting something he didn't want. And so that book is really an exploration of uh, emotional intelligence. And it's the first step for kids to learn about their emotions and to start identifying their, their emotions. Um, it's got pictures, again, as I mentioned, it's got an expository piece that helps kids to start to think about their own emotions and also to kind of identify wh- what those emotions feel like for them. So it's really meant to give kids that first step. And, I, and all of my books are meant to be platforms for parents to start the conversations with their kids. So the parent's supposed to read it with the child. The child then, you know, by working the, uh, the activities in each of the books, takes that learning from that fun, you know, kind of lighthearted narrative and gets really into the nitty gritty of some of the stories. Now the second and third books, again briefly, uh, Eddie and the Hot Cocoa Hot Rod, that's got kind of a stem message it's about a little boy who struggles with his math and it's not until um, a, one of his teachers a, a, a math teacher who he has a shared passion for cars that's the hot cocoa hot rod um, that he's able to kind of make the grade if you will and ultimately he uh, is successful in turning things around and uh, getting onto the uh, the um, what did I call it the the uh, racer roundup so he gets to get into a, a a uh, race car club that the kids are doing the uh, radio-controlled cars. Now, this 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 character's uh, idol is Lewis Hamilton. So, if you're an F1 racing fan, you know Lewis Hamilton is multiracial and he's also the reigning F1 champion, um, who I think is, if not one win shy of the all-time record of being the winningest F1, uh, you know, Formula One racer. Uh, if not being tied for it today. so he's a tremendous, a tremendous uh, role model, if you will, uh, and someone that the kids can read about and learn about in the expository sections of the book. Now I also included a little bit a little nod to um, uh, Bubba Wallace, who is the NASCAR uh, you know, racing guy. Yeah, that's made headlines recently. Uh, and I did this. I mean, this book was written like what? At this point five years ago so i just was researching you know history about uh auto sports and black people not just black men because tia norfleet who is an african-american young woman she's also we also give a nod to tia because you know she's doing her thing as well and that's something not everyone knows um so there's a lot of different people there's a um actually a, a, a I think it's called the winner's circle in the back of that book that has little little excerpts about some of the um, more, the better known uh, auto sports, black auto sports people in in recent history. And so that also gives kids an opportunity to explore if they have an interest in, in sports in, or in auto uh, sport, to find out kind of, you know, if they have that passion to see themselves again, as mentioned, to see that they are represented in that part of the world as well. And then finally, my book, Lorena and the Magic Mocha Mirror, that's a, a book about body image. And that story is, um, really about a little girl who's teased because she basically has a larger bot a larger frame than the kids she's hanging out with at the beach and as an african american woman that's a common <laughs> yeah, exactly that's a very common theme that's a, you know that's a common trope i myself experienced that and i think so many black women have had to have the you know they talk about those talks that's one of those talks you know honey you are beautiful and you're not going to be a size two necessarily. And you're not fat when they tell you you're fat, you're just bigger than they. You're, you just got a bigger build. So Lorena and the magic mo, uh, magic mocha mirror tells the story of a little girl who's teased um, and uh, body shamed by beach bullies. But she ultimately, um, she has a, a fantastic and a fantasy experience, experience with three mermaids of different body shapes. And they share that they too, have those same you know, body insecurities. Uh, and in their telling of their stories, she's informed and she learns to love herself and that everybody is beautiful. So that, that uh, expository uh, part is a paper doll section that has the, the shapes of the three uh, body types, the, mesom- the ectomorph, mesomorph, <laughs> and which one did I leave out? Ec- meso- endomorph. So it has the three body shapes. Um, and uh, different outfits so the girls can kind of get a sense of what, what that body shape means and how, how to start thinking about how you dress for your body shape, right? And the, the other piece that's expository in that piece that I really, was, I really had fun with was looking at celebrities and identifying who had what type of body, right? So from your Misty Copeland's to your Beyonce's to your Serena Williams, you're seeing all these beautiful, powerful black women who are doing amazing things with their bodies and their minds, right? But that looked different across the board.
0: Yes, and I, I mean, the, the images, there's so many young women, so many grown women that needed to have that as um, a young person growing up because like black women still to this day, are are tripping about their you know their curves or whatever and and we do have um like Lizzo I love her yeah. like she's like this is me this is all I am how I am and and like you said we have Misty Beyonce and Serena and everybody's body type is different and it's like here I am as I am as a smart woman um I, and I love the illustrations that were you always an artist how did you get into the inspiration for the illustrations and you did you just illustrate one book or all three yeah
2: yeah and i'll tell you the story (laughs) that that was a funny thing so i found when i started this you know i i i as i shared i was i have a undergraduate degree if i didn't mention this in in english literature and then i have a journalism degree uh, a master's level journalism degree so i was really comfortable with the writing right that wasn't the part that intimidated me but illustrating was something I never even imagined. I mean, I, I have a love of deep passion for fine arts painting and drawing, but I've never really had any exposure in that way. Um, and so, um, I've sought out an illustrator and I found a great one, uh, who was able to really kind of take the sketches that I had drawn, drawn, I'd hand drawn and really apply her style to kind of bring this vision to life. Um, but by the third book, um, I started, you know, and this was interestingly, cause it was the body image book, right? And I sent over sketches and I think she was kind of like, what is this? What are you trying to send me? And I was like, yeah, that's, that's exactly what I need to draw, you know? And we ultimately parted ways because I decided, you know, to heck with it. Let me try and do this myself. So I enrolled in my local art school, Rockland uh, Center for the Arts. And with the help of an amazing art instructor. I basically redid all the sketches in my own uh, you know my own quirky style to do the illustrations on the third book. And I was really pleased with the result. Um, let me see if I can't show you this one uh, image that I speak of in particular because I think, and I don't know if you'll be able to see it, but I think it's this one. It's called the Boardwalk. And if you can see this, this is the picture that I really enjoyed. And this is the one that made the difference because you see how I was able to kind of show the, the wide hips of the woman and the, the mom who's got a little bit more, you know, she's, she's, she's cuddly, you know, she's, she's got a little bit more meat on her bones, but you know, this was my, I was really happy to, to take that on because I was able to really execute my vision of, you know, people, the people in my life, the people around me and what they look like in beautiful ways. So, um, you know, it was something that I just on a lark decided, you know, out of necessity, as they say, you know, the mother of invention and thus I've, you know, headed down this road of illustration and I, you know, I've continued to draw and I enjoy it. And I, I seek to, you know, continue taking classes, as I mentioned, um, or if I, I, I don't know if I mentioned it uh, on air, but I look to uh, do a second edition of the books. Uh, on the completion of my uh, doctoral journey that will incorporate some of the learnings that I've I've had and made uh, um, the you know the the insights that I've had through my educational process to make this a more um, insightful and more kind of uh, a a stronger tool to empower kids to take ownership of their literacy and to really to enjoy the stories to be honest because you know that's really what that's really what matters. You want to read something you like, so I want it to be a, a great experience for kids, and look to, uh, you know, improve it as much as possible. Absolutely.
0: And one of my favorite um, uh, pictures in that book also is—is is it Grandma Mimi's kitchen? Oh yeah. And so, what was your inspiration behind Grandma Mimi's kitchen? Is it you really got a Grandma Mimi?
2: <laughs> yeah, I do. My mom. We call me my daughter calls my mom Mimi. Here it is. So this is the other picture you're talking about.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So my mom lives in Laguna. And uh, like I said, I, I, my family's from Southern California. So this grandma's Mimi, grandma Mimi's kitchen was it's this empty room. And what was really interested interesting was that it was empty. It's empty because the family was never at home. And that was my memory of my mom and my grandmother. Actually, um, my grandmother Mary Evelyn. She and I would always go whenever I went to my grandmother's house. She we would pack up on the bus, mind you, in Southern California, and go whisking off into adventure. And oftentimes we'd end up at the the, the museums, right? The Los Angeles County Museum, the La Brea Tar Pits. We were always out, you know, exploring. And so, what was so memorable about that space and my mom's space is that. These kitchens are empty they're full of love they're full of pictures they're well lived in but there's nobody in it because we're out living our lives and having these wonderful adventures that you ultimately get to read about in the pages of the books wow
0: so in one of your other many hats
2: uh-huh. <laughs> oh yes <laughs>
0: you are a, a project manager of, and do project manage professional project management on uh-huh. diversity projects. Can you tell us a little bit about that and your experience in that?
2: Yeah. So, yeah, I'm a um, project management institute or a PMI uh, certified project manager. Um, I, as I mentioned earlier that I, you know, after I was a daily reporter, I got into marketing communications and worked in corp- in the corporate space for many years. So I really developed my uh, project management uh, abilities and skills through that work. Um, I've worked on all different types of uh, of projects, uh, largely communications projects. And so Um, I bring that skill set to anything I do, including my books. Um, You know, like I mentioned, I've done these books from soup to nuts, three books, the full series. I've marketed them, I've just done the distribution um, and that's been in a lot of the local mom and pop uh, bookstores and through uh, Barnes and Noble and Amazon. Um, I've applied those learnings in in those ways. And now I'm using my project management skills with my PhD program. So um, project management is a, a, it's just the ability to understand pretty much, you know, we call it the three, the three uh, points of the pyramid, right? Scope, time, cost. to get really technical, but understanding how to manage projects, understanding the stakeholders and kind of all the facets of a pro of a program or a project. Um, I feel like that, that comes through and that's how I was able to get my certification uh, really calling on my years of experience in that regard. And I I do apply those skills on really any project I do. And um, most recently, I think um, some work that we've been doing in the health literacy space, because, you know, as a literacy uh, scholar, I'm looking at literacy in uh, many different ways because, you know, it's just a different content area, right? Literacy is the ability to understand, but the content can change. And so for me, um, I'm marrying my his, my history and my experience in uh, healthcare and medical uh, communications and marketing to kind of uh, bring that into the health literacy space, which is one that's really needed, particularly now in this era of, of COVID, right? And we've all seen the disparities that exist and the need for understanding and learning and really just health literacy and what we all need to do to keep ourselves healthy and the best, um, advocates for our own health.
0: So what's your, um, with all these projects and yeah, right? <laughs> all these balls in the air, once you, um, when is your completion for the PhD?
2: Well, I'm hoping it'll be soon. I'm hoping by the end of the year, I can get, you know, most of my work done, but we'll see. Uh, it'll be this year, or early next year I'll be done. Mm-hmm. And what will be beyond that? for you? Um, I mean, you have the next series of books. Yeah. And yeah. So, so in terms of my books, um, I'll do that second edition, as I mentioned, that will really kind of highlight, um, the culmination of my literacy work. Um, I have four books, believe it or not in my head right now that are waiting for me to finish this program so I can get back at it. Um, every day I'm looking at beautiful images and beautiful illustrations um and thinking okay what do i want the next volume to look like um so i'm moving in that direction i'd mentioned that there's a publication a quarterly publication i'm working with some of my my uh my colleagues from columbia journalism to try and bring that idea to life um and then um the health literacy space um i really want to kind of start changing the narrative in that, in those spaces and expanding the conversation, expanding the stories, expanding, um, again, our ability as a culture to represent ourselves and advocate for ourselves and our own health. Okay. And, and going back to your, your bio, you mm-hmm.
0: studied in, abroad uh huh, in Spain. Uh huh. How has that, did that experience help shape some of what you're doing now.
2: Oh, gosh, yeah. Um, Yeah, so um, when I was an undergrad, I actually went to the La Universidad de Salamanca in Spain, in the city of Salamanca, Spain. And I uh, did a semester abroad there. That definitely changed my outlook on the world. I, um, I was one of the crazy kids who just immersed herself in the culture, you know, People in my program were like, "Wow, you, we never see you." And I'm like, "Yeah, I came to Spain to, you know, to experience a different culture, and it was really eye-opening. I mean, it, there were good points, there were not so good points, but it all impacted me and have, you know, helped shape me into the person that I am today. Um, I ultimately ended up returning to Spain, and I worked um, for Deloitte and Touche as a as a translator for a bit. Um, met my then uh, ex, well, not my now ex-husband, but, um, it definitely, definitely, definitely shaped my, my, my outlook, um, developing a level of fluency as I did changed the way I thought about the world. I mean, you know, it, it just really changed everything. Cause you, you know, when you get to that level of, of fluency, you start to, you start to dream in a foreign language and that's when, you know, you've kind of turned a corner. Right. Um, and it, it, it was really interesting because, you know, I've grown a lot since then. I've grown um, from where I started to where I was then and to where I am now. And I've seen in so many ways that people are very much the same. Um, I've also seen that we're very different. And I've also learned that we need to appreciate those differences as much as we need to appreciate the similarities. And I think that's one of the things and one of the ways that um, my experience abroad has shaped me. I also, you know, being the 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 only black person in the in the room, you know, that's an understatement when you're the only black person in the 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 city <laughs> or the town, you know, and I, that's a bit of an, an exaggeration, but you know, when they stare at you because you're the 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 one lone black person from the United States and you become the the spokesperson for the the culture, you know, <laughs> that's an interesting space to be in and you you become really, really aware of what you're saying, what you're doing, and you learn how the world sees you or doesn't see you. Right. And again, that's that notion of access, equity and inclusion that's become so important. You see that people abroad maybe only see the rap videos and think that you're this kind of way because they've only seen this. They don't know about the rich history of authors and writers and scientists and physicians and you know you know the whole thing and so you know they they see you as the person on the bus but they don't know that your parents are both professionals who've got really rich histories of you know uh historic spaces in the u.s like new orleans and tulsa you know they don't know any of what that means and how that informs or makes you the person that you are right and so mm-hmm. living through those experiences and bringing those realities you know you don't even i didn't even know how important some of this stuff was it was stuff i had taken for this you know this is just my family I, this is that's all i know you know and then you come to find out what what oh okay i get it now i get it now yeah and i i, I got to do something and i got to do something different you know so I think in in those ways, um, that's that was my experience, and that's kind of my takeaway. And that's, like I said, part of what shaped me and got me to where I am now, where I'm writing books, where I feel um, I'm trying to reflect, and refract the African American experience. Uh, Valerie,
0: yeah, this has been such a rich conversation, girl. <laughs> <laughs> you got so many things going on i'm glad you're a friend
2: <laughs> <laughs> I know. um
0: yeah so just mention um and we 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 put it we're gonna put it on the, the um facebook page but tell us your websites and because you got
2: coco kids you got that Va- uh valerie uh, other yeah things. yeah 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 Yeah. so i've got my, my my portfolio page is all my stuff that's my pmp my storytelling my research That's vwilliamsanchez.org um, but my books are at coco kids collection books.com and my research is reading builds empathy.info so the three those are the three that anybody needs to know and you can actually get to everything from dot org. okay <laughs> and you, your, your
0: books are available on amazon
2: Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and through the distributor, because I self-publish through uh, it's print on demand through Lulu Publishing. And if you do an author search or a title search, you can find them.
0: Okay. And and we'll we'll try to we're gonna hook you up with our friends at People Get Ready Bookstore, Dolores and Lauren.
2: Yeah so we have
0: some books up here in New Haven. Awesome. And I just I wanna thank you. We really appreciate this um sure. conversation. I mean take I'll be mean, like Keeping up with you on LinkedIn and social media and stuff
2: (laughs) like up, up, up in Columbia no more. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, no, don't don't even try it. You're keeping up with me. I'm trying to keep up with you. (laughs) And I thank you for inviting me to to talk and spend this time with you. I mean, it's tremendous. And I love all the work that you're doing in all the different spaces. You're really making a difference. Oh,
0: I appreciate it, Charmaine and Emily. Emily is our our other team member. Um, Charmaine and Emily, we're, I'm so blessed to have them. We try. We are working to help to keep Elm City Lit
2: Fest lit all year I round. It. I love it. I love it. Hey, anything, it. anything I can do? I, I did share this with um, on my personal networks, and I'll I'll you know post it again. Uh, for those in my my school because you know the literacy department i'm sure there are others who are interesting and there's others who are interesting that i would love to kind of you know keep in the loop in the conversation because it's, it's a great cohort that's doing wonderful things so yeah for sure
0: oh wonderful we look we look forward to it because it's all about the, the i mean our platform is to promote and celebrate The literary, literary artists, literature, literacy, everything for the African diaspora. Yeah, we we have to we have to promote our own for us and by us. So thank you again. Thank you you. you for coming through.
2: Oh, thank you. You and the questions you've asked are amazing. I mean, the the great conversation, and I appreciate your really you know insightful questions. Your you know deep interest in the topics and your real commitment to you know making a, a difference and improving literacy literature for the culture that's 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 what we need that's really what we need yeah, yep. oh,
0: yeah. there we gotta we gotta get some educators too yeah to get on board with this. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Like I said, whatever I can do, I will. And I, I'm already thinking of a couple of people I'd love to to make introductions to you because um, I think it would be a really great thing to have that connection.
0: And what were you going to say, Sha?
1: Oh, I was just saying we are all we have. We are responsible for our culture, our people, what we're learning, what our kids are taking in. It's, it's up to us at this point. It's always been up to us. But I think now folks are grasping and understanding that we, no one is going to feed us and nurture us in the way that we need to there you just said it in the way
2: that we need to hear it and see it and be about it yeah
0: absolutely <laughs> so i want to thank everybody who is on facebook live and youtube who has joined us we have uh valerie's uh information is in our on our page and we thank you all for joining us tonight it's another lit Elm City Lit Fest podcast. We will see you in two weeks. Blessings. Everybody stay safe and well.